Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa alim. Welcome to a shi'alakchiz.net presentation This is a question answer session with the brother Abu Yaqeen The second question and answer session Okay, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa alim Muhammad Let us start uh, with the first question, inshallah The first question was sent by Al-Hanif Hisham He says, why is it that Abu Bakr and Umar are buried near the Prophet of God and with a space between the shoulders of the Prophet and Abu Bakr's head and in between Abu Bakr's shoulders and, Umar, and Umar's head uh, Brother Abu Yaqeen, did you get the question inshallah? Okay, take the mic Yes, uh, if he was asking about the position I don't know why they were buried in this position However, what I know is uh, being buried beside a good man does not make you a good man. Okay, this is a simple rule. A good example is Harun Rashid, who is buried beside Imam Riba. Imam Riba is clearly a good man, and Harun Rashid is clearly a bad man. He was the person who arrested Imam Al Kabum. Imam Al Kabum is the father of Imam Riba. Okay, he arrested him, and he poisoned him. Besides, he killed many people many innocent people in, in many different uh, Islamic sites ok so he's clearly a bad man however he's, he's buried beside Imam Rabba so uh, from this you can tell that a good man if he's buried beside a bad man does not make that person a bad man or a, a better person also this is a, uh, a very clear issue when you go to the graveyard you'll see many good people buried beside bad people and we have no problem with this it does not change the personality of that people it does not change the reality of those people so the same issue uh, fits the case of Prophet Muhammad and the people who were buried beside him inshallah this answers it the mic is here ok thank you brother Abu Yaqeen Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad the second question by the same brother is uh, is there any proof in the Sunni school of thought or the Shia school of thought that we can ask uh, dua from through the dead towards asking Allah uh, through the, through the dead uh, things that you want or need? Okay, Mola, take the mic. Yes, brother. Uh, first of all, we think that the question is wrong uh, when they distinguish between dead people and living people. In intercession, I think the question is wrong. The reason is, uh, when we uh, when we do intercession, we're not asking people to fulfill our needs by their own body. We're not asking them to do it by themselves, okay, with or with their own body. If this was the case, yes, this person must be alive, so that he walks and do the thing that we need. However, if we're asking this person to pray for for us, okay, this. Uh, the issue of living or dead is irrelevant whether he is alive or dead it does not matter same thing if we are using his status his closeness to Allah the same issue uh, comes again it does not matter if he is alive or dead however if for any reason the person wants to prove uh, how we can make intercession through a dead person, yes, we do have many proofs for this. In the Shia and the Sunni books. 
in the, in the previous question and answer session, I did mention many hadith from the Shia source that says uh, prophets did make intercession through Ahlul Bayt who were not born yet. Okay, so th we can use this as a proof. Why? Because they were not born, so they were not in this life. They're not doing the things by their, by their, their own body. The same case when they leave this life again, when they die. Okay? So those hadith can be used, and most of them were from the Shia books, and they were authentic. Okay? I did mention one narration from Imam Malik, the Sunni, the Sunni Imam, who did say that Adam made intercession through Prophet Muhammad. So we can use this as well. All of this were, were mentioned last time. This time I'll focus more on the Sunni narration. And I'll, did, I'll do mention some of those, those proofs. The first proof is a famous hadith in which a blind person comes to Prophet Muhammad and tells him that he is blind and he wants Prophet Muhammad to pray for him to cure him. Okay. In this hadith you will see that Prophet Muhammad did not pray for this person but he told him go and read this dua. The dua says the following. Ya Muhammad, inni tawajjahtu bika ila rabbi fi hajati hadihi fatuqbali. Okay? He says that, O oh Muhammad, I will use your status so, will Allah, so that Allah will fulfill my need. This hadith is authentic. It is mentioned in Mustadrak al-Hakim, volume 1, page 313. After he mentioned this hadith, he said, Hada hadith sahih ala sharta al-shaykhain wa lam yukhrijah. And the Dahabi agreed with him in a talqis. So the hadith is authentic in one of the Sunni sources. Another source is Sahih ibn Khuzayma, volume 2, page 225. Sahih ibn Khuzayma is authentic. Another scholar who authenticated this hadith is Al-Bayhaqi in his book, Al-Dala'il, page 167, volume 6. Over there he said, وَرَوَيْنَا فِي كِتَابِ الدَّعَوَاتِ بِإِسْنَادٍ صَحِيحٍ and there are also other Sunni scholars who authenticated this hadith. This is one. And what we understand from this hadith is that we are allowed to do intercession through Prophet Muhammad, whether he is alive or dead. It does not matter. Why? Uh, for the reasons that we've mentioned before. And also, there are some companions who understood the same thing from this hadith. That you are allowed to do it, to do intercession, even after the death of Prophet Muhammad. How come? When you go, for example, to Al-Mu'jam Al-Kabir, Surah Tabarani, Volume 9, page 30, you will see over there that there is a companion whose name is Uthman bin Hunayf. A person comes to him, he had a need that he wanted to be fulfilled, and he asked him about it, and then this person taught him the same dua. Ya Muhammad, inni atawajjahu bika ila rabbi fataqdi li hajati. And then, when his need was fulfilled, he was uh, puzzled with it. How come it happened? And he said that it, uh, we learned this from Prophet Muhammad because a dead person came to him. And he mentioned the same hadith that we mentioned before. The chain of this narration that uh, Osman bin Hunayf taught a person the same dua after the death of Prophet Muhammad. This was during the days of Osman bin Affan, by the way. Is authentic. This chain is authentic. And you can see this, for example, I'll mention two scholars who authenticated the hadith. Al-Mu'jam, you can find it in Al-Mu'jam al-Saghir, Surah Al-Tabarani. Al-Tabarani authenticated this hadith in volume 1, page 183. He said, wal-hadithu sahih. 
and also Al-Haythami in Majma' al-Zawa'id, volume 2, page 279, he also authenticated the hadith. Another proof is a hadith that is mentioned in Sunan al-Darmi, volume 1, page 43. Over there you'll see that a person comes to Aisha and he tells her that we do need draining because our animals are being sick and they became very weak and thin. What she said is, انظروا قبر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فاجعلوا منه كوا إلى السماء حتى لا يكون بينه وبين السماء سقف She said go to the grave of Prophet Muhammad make a hole between the grave and the sky and they, when they made this the hadith says ففعلوا فمطرنا مطرا حتى نبت العشب وسمنت الأبل حتى تفتقت من الشحم فسمي عام الفتق that they did receive heavy raining until their animals became very fat and they did have problems with fat animals this time okay and that here was very famous of the name Am al-Fatq okay and the hadith when you check the, the narrators all of them are reliable so the hadith is authentic okay also uh, I did mention a hadith last time about saying Ya Muhammad okay Sunnis do have about the slogan that I said that yeah the the one for Aisha I did mention the source it is let me mention the source again it is Sunan al-Darami volume 1 page 43 this is the hadith for Aisha and this is the source uh, just to be more accurate this is an utter a narration okay a hadith is only for Prophet Muhammad or one of the Imams, the infallibles. When someone narrates something else other than the infallibles, we we call it narration only. Atar. Okay, so this is an atar since Aisha is the one who narrated it. It does not connect to Prophet Muhammad. Anyway, there is also another had, uh, narration in Al Bidaya wa Nahaya for Ibn Kathir, volume 6, page 357. Over there, uh, it says that Khalid bin Walid in the battle of Al-Yamama the hadith goes like this or the narration goes like this ثُمَّ نَادَى بِشِعَارِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَكَانَ شِعَارُهُمْ يَوْمَ إِذْ يَا مُحَمَّدَ وَجِعَلَ لَا يَبْرِذْ لَهُمْ أَحَدًا إِلَّا قَتَلَهُ وَلَا يَدْنُوهُ مِنْهُ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا أَكَلَهُ It says that Khalid bin Walid called and used the slogan of the Muslims and the slogan was Ya Muhammada and once he did this, he was able to kill anybody in front of him. I did mention last time a hadith similar to this one. In Al-Kafi Sharif, volume 5, page 47, which said uh, that the slogan of Muslims during battle was Ya Nasrullah, during Uhud was also Ya Nasrullah, during the day of Bani Qaynaqa, Ya Rabbana, the day of Bani Quraidah, Ya Salam, and the day of Tabuk, Ya Ahad, Ya Samad, and the day of Sufin, again Ya Nasrullah. However, during the day of uh, Khaybar, it was Ya Ali. And during the days of Imam Hussein, was Ya Muhammad. Okay? So all of this do prove that you are allowed to do intercession through a living person or a dead person from the Sunni or the Shia folk. And they are with authentic chain. Inshallah, this answers it. Imam Kizim. Thank you, Mawlai. Uh, by the way, I'd like to ask a question if you don't mind. Is there any difference, you know, 
saying, uh, you know, as you said in the hadith, Ya Muhammad, uh, I ask you in the, in the name of Muhammad and so forth. So forth. can we just say Ya Muhammad or, or Ya Ali? Is, is there any difference? Because it seems that uh, some, uh, some uh, Sunni brothers, they, they uh, get annoyed when we say uh, Ya Ali. And, uh, but when we say, Oh Allah, on behalf of Imam Al-Islam, give us uh, so-and-so, um, they don't find much problem with that. So, Mawla, uh, can you explain this to me? Yes, brother. There is a difference. When we say, Ya Allah, we mean, Oh Allah, do this by you. I ask Allah by himself to do this for me. Okay? Allah is going to do it by his own power. However, when we say Ya Muhammad or Ya Ali, we mean O oh, Muhammad or O oh, Ali, ask Allah to do this for me. Okay? Allah, Prophet Muhammad will never be able to do something by himself. Not while he's dead and not even while he's alive. Just like us, we cannot do anything by our own power. It is always by the power of Allah. So this is the difference. When we ask Imam Ali or we ask Prophet Muhammad, we are not saying that you by yourself do this for us. We're asking them, uh, uh, please make Allah do this for us, either by a pray or by using their status. Okay, inshallah, this uh, this answers it. Okay. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. The third question uh, by the same user. Where is it permitted in Sunnis, in, in the Sunni school of thought, to visit the dead or to visit tombs? And uh, also in, in the Shia school of thought, where does it permit us to visit the dead or visit the tombs? Okay, I'm all right. Okay, brother, there are, there are many proofs for this. I'll mention a few of them from Sunni and Shia books with authentic chain. The first one is in Sahih Muslim, which is a Sunni source, volume 3, page 63, hadith number 1618. The hadith says that Aisha said that Prophet Muhammad used to go, I'll read it in Arabic, يخرج من آخر الليل إلى البقيع فيقول السلام عليكم دار قوم المؤمنين, which says that Prophet Muhammad used to visit the graveyard of al-Baqi and he say salam to them. Okay, so... By this hadith, you can tell that it is allowed to go and visit the, the dead in a Sunni source that is authentic. The simil- we have similar hadith, the same hadith actually, is mentioned in our books in Wasa'il Shia volume 3, page 224, hadith number 3. Okay, it says over there that Prophet Muhammad used to go every Thursday night to visit the graveyard of Al-Baqi' and Al-Madaniyin okay. Another narration from Shia books which is authentic okay. Sheikh al-Saduq narrates it in a book of Tawheed page 117 hadith number 21 okay. Sheikh al-Saduq in the book of Tawheed page 117 hadith number 21 over there it says Prophet Muhammad said with authentic chain من زارني في حياتي أو بعد موتي فقد زار الله whoever visit me during my life or after my death is just like he is visiting Allah okay? this is one hadith that is authentic another one which is also authentic 
It is narrated in the book of Sheikh Tawsi, Tahdib al-Ahkam, volume 6, page 51, hadith number 35. Imam Sadiq over there says, Man zara qabra Abi Abdullah yawma Ashura kana kaman zara Allah ta'ala fi arshi. Whoever visits Imam Hussain in the day of Ashura, it is just like he visited Allah in his throne. And the hadith is authentic if you want. You can check the narrators in Mu'ajam Rajal Hadith, volume 4, page 106, volume 16, page 233, volume 10, page uh, 139, volume 20, page 147, volume 14, page 279, volume 7, page 361. And the chain between Sheikh Tusi and the book of Ibn Qawlaway is also reliable. Authentic. You can check Mu'jam Rajal Hadith, Volume 4, page 107. And the whole Hadith was authenticated by authenticated by Al-Alam Al-Majlisi. In his book, Manaz Al-Akhyar, Volume 9, page 124. So, inshallah, this answers the message. The fourth question by the same user is, the peace treaty between Imam Al-Hasan and Muawiyah, the first uh, item was the form of the peace treaty the two parties signed is as follows item number one handing over authority to Muawiyah pro provided that he should act according to the book of Allah the sunnah of the prophet may Allah bless him and his family and the behavior of the righteous khalifs so was Abu Bakr, Umar and Uthman uh, righteous khalifs according to Imam Hassan alayhi salam Okay, well, I take the mic. Uh, yes, brother. See, the brother assumes that when Imam Hassan or maybe Imam Ali or Prophet Muhammad, when they mention the word righteous khalif or rightly guided khalif, he assumes those are the four uh, known khalif. And this is not correct. Okay. When one of the imam speak about the righteous khalif or the rightly guided khalif, they are referring to the 12 khalif that Prophet Muhammad spoke about in Sahih Muslim, for example. Volume 3, page 1452, hadith number 3393. Over there it spoke about uh, the 12 khalif. Okay, Prophet Muhammad mentioned them. Those are the, the khalif that Imam Hassan is referring to. And by the way, this hadith is authentic and all Sunnis agree on this hadith. Al-Baghawi in Sharh al-Sunnah, volume 15, page 31, says, هذا حديث متفق على صحته. All Sunnis agree on this hadith. So number one, when Imam Hassan was telling Muawiyah, stick with the Sunnah of the righteous Khalif, he means the 12 Khulafa. For example, Imam Ali, uh, Muawiyah knows the Sunnah of Imam, Imam Ali. And he knows the Sunnah of Imam Hassan. Imam Hassan was there and he's alive and he can refer to him. And Imam Hussein was also alive. And he also reached Imam Zain al-Abidin. So he refer, he, when, when he wants to govern, he must refer to those uh, 12 Khulafa. Okay. This is the first thing. Number two. Number th uh, the second thing is that how come Imam al-Hassan will refer Muawiyah to the sunnah of the previous Khulafa, the known Khulafa, okay. Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman, when he refused, when Imam Ali refused the Sunnah of Abu Bakr and Umar, this is a very famous story. 
which is mentioned in the Sunni and the Shia book. Before the days of when Umar was sick and he was going to die, he told Abdurrahman bin Auf came to Imam Ali, and you know the famous story about the six people of Ashura. They came to Imam Ali and told him that we're going to make you the Khalifa, however we want you to govern us by the book of God, the, the Sunnah of the Prophet, and then the Sunnah of the Shaykhain, Abu Bakr and Umar. Imam Ali refused to follow the Sunnah of Abu Bakr and Umar. So how come Imam Al-Hassan will tell Muawiyah to follow something that his father refused? Okay. And if you want to make sure about this, you can go to Fath al-Bari, the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari for Ibn Hajar, volume 13, page 171. It says, فَقَالَ أَبْرَحْمَ بْنَ عُوْفُ وَإِمَامْ عَلِيهِ فَقَالَ هَلْ أَنْتَ يَا عَلِي مُبَايَعِي إِنْ وَلَّيْتُكَ هَذَا الْأَمْرِ عَلَى سِنَّةِ اللَّهِ وَسِنَّةِ رَسُولَهِ وَسِنَّةِ الْمَاضِينِ مِنْ قَبْلْ قَالَ لَا He refused. Okay? And the third proof is that if you say that following the sunnah of, of the known khalif is what Imam Hassan asked Muawiyah to do, then this is a self-contradictory issue. Why? Because each of those uh, khalif, either Abu Bakr or Umar or Uthman or Imam Ali, each of them had uh, a different sunnah. So which sunnah is he going to refer to? And some of them did have a sunnah that is contradictory with the sunnah of Rasul Muhammad. If you want, I can give you example in Sahih Muslim, hadith number 553. Over there it said that a person came to Amr during his Khilafah and he said that I need to make ghusl, I don't have water, what should I do? He said don't pray. Okay. And then Amr, Amr reminded him of an event that happened between the two of them. They were in the same situation and then Prophet Muhammad taught them how to make tayammum. Okay. In Quran we have the order of tayammum. Amal al-Khattab saw the order of Tayammum or heard the order of Tayammum from Prophet Muhammad in this incident that Ammar still remembers and he reminded Umar of it but yet he refuses to believe Ammar he says Ittaqillah ya Ammar fear Allah and then Ammar said in shi'at lam uhadith bihi if you want I'm not going to write this and then some people started to make fatwa to issue fatwa based on this hadith same thing in Sahih Muslim, hadith number 552. A person over there says, uh, Abu Musa, he says, Alam tasma' qawl Ammar. He tells this to a person, his name is Abdullah, who issued a fatwa, uh, saying that you don't, you don't pray when you don't see water. Okay? And then Abdullah said, didn't you see that Umar was not convinced by what Ammar has said? Okay. See, so Umar and Khattab has a different sin. A sunnah that contradicts with uh, the sunnah of Prophet Muhammad. So can Imam Al-Hassan refer Muawiyah to such a person? No, it's not, it does not make sense. Also the sunnah, now I give you an example of how the sunnah of the Khulafa sometimes uh, contradict with the sunnah of Prophet Muhammad and sometimes they contradict with themselves. This is an example. You know that the sunnah of Abu Bakr, he refused to give the sadaqah of Al-Madina for Fatima. But the problem is, Umar bin Khattab gave it to Imam Ali and Abbas after the death of Fatima. What was the proof of Abu Bakr? The famous hadith that uh, prophets do not inherit. 
But how come Umar did not make, did not use this hadith? He did the opposite. He gave this inheritage to Umar, to Imam Ali, and to Al Abbas. And you can see all of this in Sahih al Bukhari, hadith number 3305. I'll read it in Arabic. وكانت فاطمة تسأل أبا بكر نصيبها مما ترك رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من خيبر وفدك وفدقته بالمدينة. فأبا بكر, فأبا أبا بكر عليها ذلك. That Abu Bakr did not give Fatima Khaybar and Fadak and also the charity of Al-Madina. But then the hadith says, فَأَمَّا فَدَقَتُهُ بِالْمَدِينَةِ فَدَفَعَهَا عُمَرْ إِلَىٰ عَلِي وَالْعَبَّاسِ okay. It says, but the charity of Al-Madina, Umar al-Khattab gave it to uh, Imam Ali and Al-Abbas. And this is in Sahih al-Bukhari and it is authentic. So inshallah this answers it. It is impossible that Imam Hassan tells Muawiyah to follow the sunnah of the of those khalifa when he said follow the sunnah of the righteous khalifa or the rightly guided khalifa he refers to the 12 khulafa that Prophet Muhammad spoke about them ok and the mic is yours ok Allah Mawlai if you don't mind one personal another personal question um, well as far as I understand Ahlul Bayt don't get sadaqah uh, is this correct? Then uh, I, did, I didn't understand your point about uh, why would he give Imam al-Islam sadaqa? Check the Okay, brother. Actually, it is not a sadaqa for Imam Ali and for Al-Abbas. This is the habit that Prophet Muhammad used to do. He he owns few things and he always give it to people as a sadaqa, right? Even the food of Fadak, the food of Khaybar, he does not take it for himself. He he takes it and give it to some poor people okay when he died no Al-Abbas not Ibn Abbas I'm talking about Al-Abbas yeah, when he died all of those uh, property he was supposed uh, or they were supposed to be given to Fatima and Imam Ali and the rest of the uh, household right so this is what the hadith is referring to it's not saying that they are taking charity or anything. No, not this one. Okay, inshallah, this answers it. Okay, Allah sallallahu Muhammad wa Muhammad. Thank you, Mawlai, for that uh, answer. Okay, the fifth question by the same user. Uh, why didn't Abu Bakr give Fadak to uh, Sayyid Fatima alayhi salam as he had no interest in it? Okay, Mawlai, take the mic. Okay, yes. The issue of Fadak is not that Abu Bakr had interest on the land itself. No, no. It was a plan. It was a plan by Abu Bakr uh, and Umar and the rest of the Khulafa to exclude Imam Ali from his three powers. The political power, the social power, and the economical power. They did want to make some pressure on Imam Ali for the issue of Khilafah. So the first thing is that they made political pressure by not allowing Imam Ali to lead any battle it is very famous that Imam Ali was leader number one in the battles during the, day, the days of Prophet Muhammad even if Khalid Walid participated in a battle Imam Ali will be the leader over even Khalid Walid the only person who leads Imam Ali was Prophet Muhammad okay but we don't see this during the days of Abu Bakr or Omar or Uthman. He, they did not allow him to lead any battle. So this is the first pressure that they made on 
uh, Imam Ali. The second pressure was the social pressure by not allowing people to gather in his house. For example, when you go to Musannaf ibn Abi Shayba, volume 7, page 432, hadith number 37,045, over there you will see that Omar says to Fatima, if people gather in your house again, uh, I'm going to burn the house over them. And then when he left, the same people came again. And Fatima told them that Omar came and told me so and so. So if you come back, he's going to uh, burn your house or burn our house. And this hadith is authentic. The narration in Musannaf ibn Ayyushayba is authentic. And if someone has uh, doubt about this, he can send me the name of the narrator. And I'll prove it to him that he is reliable. Okay. And this actually, the social pressure, pressure is very clear. Even in Sahih al-Bukhari, it is mentioned in volume 5, page 83 of Sahih al-Bukhari, hadith number 3913. The hadith in Arabic says, The hadith says that after Fatima died, uh, Imam Ali was forced to go and solve the issue with Abu Bakr due to how people used to look at him. Okay, so there were some uh, social pressure on Imam Ali during that time, and finally the economical pressure by taking Fedek from Fatima. They didn't want him to have any economical powers, so this was why they took Fedek from Imam Ali and Fatima. It is not because they did have interest on it. Okay, and inshallah that's answered. The matter. Thank you, Mulai, for that answer. I mean, uh, I'm thinking if, if uh, you know, I were in place of Abu Bakr, I, I wouldn't really mind giving it to Fatima Tazara, you know, as, as long as, even if I heard the hadith, as long as she says that as she is the Prophet's daughter, she knows much better than me, uh, with, you know, what her rights are. So, you know, uh, if she doesn't believe in my hadith, then I'll, I'll just give it to her. It doesn't, you know, really matter either, f- either, you know, because, uh, you know, as a present, or, uh, you know, I'd give it to her anyway, for any reason, okay? Not as, as her right, but as, as a present. So, um, I mean, that's what I would do. Okay, the sixth question by the same user uh, states, uh, Why did Fatima Zahra not speak with Abu Bakr and Umar after the event of Fatih and not before the nomination of Abu Bakr as Khalif? Inshallah, uh, you got the question. Take the mic, Mullah. Yes, sir, brother. See, anybody who goes and read history and studies the reactions of Fatima after the death of Prophet Muhammad and how she reacted to Abu Bakr and how she treated him he will reach the following okay, he will reach the following the first thing is he will see that the goal of Fatima was to send a message to the future generation this was her goal she wanted to send a message to us the content of that message was that Abu Bakr is wrong and that he does not deserve the place he took her weapon in her war with Abu Bakr was the media. She did use this weapon. The process that she went through was the following. Number one, she did ask for Fedak as the owner. 
Number two, after she proved that Abu Bakr was wrong, she came again and asked for Sadaq as the inheritor. And she did prove Abu Bakr wrong again. Number three, she stopped talking to him. See, this is a very smart move. If she did stop talking to him from the beginning, she wouldn't have uh, sent us this message. However, since, he, since she went through those steps, now the message is clear for us. And also, she did ask for FedEx under two titles, once as, as an owner and once as an inheritor. The reason is she wanted to prove Abu Bakr wrong twice under two titles, under two situations, just to make it clear for us that Abu Bakr does not de deserve that place and that he does not understand the ruling of Islam very, very clearly. Okay? So, those are the first three steps and it was not it. Number four, step number four, she prevented him from attending her funeral. And then after this, the final step was, she asked Imam Ali to hide her grave. From this, we concluded that Abu Bakr was not the right man in the right place. Okay. So if you look at it this way, you'll understand why she stopped talking to Abu Bakr later on. Not from the beginning. Thank you, Mawlai, for the answer. The seventh question uh, by the same user, uh, whether uh, Shia's meaning Imamiya Shia at the time of the Prophet وسلم, and just after the event of the nomination of Abu Bakr as Khalif, okay, Mawlai, inshallah, you got the question, take the mic. The answer is yes. Uh, they were Shia's during the days of Prophet Muhammad. And our proof is in the book of Al-Amali for Sheikh al-Saduq, page 442, hadith number 589. Uh, the, the narration is from Sheikh al-Saduq to Al-Hussein bin Ibrahim, to Ali bin Ibrahim, to Ibrahim bin Hashim, to Al-Rayyan bin Salt, which is the companion of Imam Rabba, to Imam Rabba, to Imam Al-Kabam, who narrated it from his father's to Prophet Muhammad. Okay, this is the chain. And the chain is authentic. What does Prophet Muhammad say? Prophet Muhammad says, Shi'at Ali hum al-fa'izun yawm al-qiyamah. The Shi'a of Imam Ali are the winners in the day of judgment. What does this hadith prove? It does prove that they were Shi'a during the days of Prophet Muhammad. Okay? So Shi'a did really exist during that time. However, we're not claiming that every companion was a Shi'a. No, no. We do recognize that there were companions who, for example, think that Prophet Muhammad was hallucinating. They don't believe in everything that comes from out, out, that comes out from his mouth. However, there were uh, some companions who did pro uh, believe in everything that came from from Prophet Muhammad. Those companions were the Shia. Okay, since they did hear the uh, order from Prophet Muhammad to follow Imam Ali and that he is Amir al-Mu'mineen, his Khalifa, and so on, and they did believe in this. Those were the Shia. Those were the Imamin. However, if you find one of them that does not know everything, every single ideology of the Shia, this does not make him a non-Shia, non-Imami. Why? Because it is maybe due to his situation. Maybe he did not hear this order. Maybe this order was revealed before uh, or after he died, or something like this, due to his situation.
For example, when you go to the martyrs of Badr and the martyrs of Ahud, uh, they were Muslims, right? However, they did not believe in Surah Al-Ma'idah because they did not hear it. They didn't know about it due to their situation. There were some other companions who were Shia, but they didn't know every single detail about Shiism, about Imamiyah. Okay, and they, we still recognize them as, as Shia. So inshallah, inshallah this proves to you that they were Shia during the days of Prophet Muhammad. And the mic is yours. Thank you, Mawlai. The eighth question by the same user says, Why did the Prophet choose Aisha's house when he was ill and not his beloved daughter Fatima Zahra and beloved brother Imam Ali? And did the Prophet die in the arms of Aisha or Imam Ali? Take the mic, Mawlai. Okay. See, when I checked all the uh, hadith or the narrations that say Prophet Muhammad died beside Aisha or maybe in her house, okay, I found out that either the chains are weak or that the narration comes from Aisha, which for some reason we cannot believe it if it comes from Aisha. Why? Why? Because uh, there were other other companions who claimed the opposite. For example, Ibn Abbas or Umm Salama or Imam Ali claimed that Prophet Muhammad died beside Imam Ali, not beside Aisha. So since Aisha is the only one who narrated this, we have a problem with this. And also, many of those chains are weak. We cannot rely on them. Now, do we have any hadith that says Prophet Muhammad died beside Imam Ali? Yes, I'll mention one of it, which is in the Sunni books with authentic chain. And it is narrated by a person other than Imam Ali. Okay, I'm not going to use the hadith of Imam Ali. Now I'm going to use the narrations of other than Imam Ali. This chain came from Aisha, uh, I mean from Umm Salama, the wife of Prophet Muhammad. And it is mentioned in Mustadrak al-Hakim, volume 3, page 138. The hadith, according to al-Hakim, he said, هذا hadith صحيح الاسناد ولم يخرجه. And the Dhahabi also authenticated the hadith in al-Talqif. The hadith goes like this. Uh, um Salama says That I swear by Allah Imam Ali was the closest to Prophet Muhammad And the last person who saw Prophet Muhammad before he died Because she says One, one day uh, Prophet Muhammad was saying Imam Ali came Imam Ali came okay. He was during the last uh, During his uh, uh, when he was sick in the final days, okay, the hadith says Udna Rasulullah, which means that he was sick, and they were visiting him during his sickness. And she said he was saying Jaa Ali, Jaa Ali, Imam Ali came, Imam Ali came. And Fatima said that we we thought that he had some some need from Imam Ali. And then when Imam Ali arrived, Un Salama said that maybe. We thought that uh, Prophet Muhammad wanted to tell something, maybe a secret or something for Imam Ali. So we left the room. She said, I was beside the door looking at them. And I found out or saw that Prophet Muhammad was uh, saying some secrets to Imam Ali. Until he dies. And then she said, فَكَانَ عَلِي أَقْرَبِ النَّاسِ عَهْدًا 
Ilayh. And so Imam Ali was the closest to Prophet Muhammad when he died. This is a hadith that is authentic from the Sunni sources which, which refutes the claims that many Sunnis have. And inshallah this answers it. The mic is yours. Thank you, Mullah, for that answer. Uh, the ninth question by the same user is Why Imam al Hassan and Imam al salam according to Shia sources, renounced once to the Khilafat? Because we Shia say that they have divine mission, so why to renounce to the Khilafat as a way to guide the Ummah? Take the microphone. Yes, it's clear from the question that the one who asked this question is a Shia because he said we Shia so maybe he is only passing the claim of the Salafis okay? so the challenge is not to this person but the challenge is to the Salafis to give us one authentic hadith where Imam, where Imam Ali renounced Khilafah or Imam Hassan renounced Khilafah from our books okay? they say that we narrate this so I challenge them to give to give us this hadith with the authentic chain from our books. Okay, and I just say to them that good luck. Waste your time by looking for this hadith. Anyway, what we have what we have in our books is not that they renounce Khilafah. No, we have something else. Number one, yes, we do have some hadith that says Imam Ali or the rest of the Imams did not fight those who did not believe in their Imam. And we have no problem with this. Why? Because Tawheed is more important than Imama, and we see some prophets who did not fight with their people who did not believe in Tawheed. Good example is Harun, Nabi Harun, Prophet Harun, the brother of Prophet Musa. He did not fight with Bani Israel when they worshipped the calf. Okay, it is Tawheed. It is very important. Okay, it is his obligation to guide those people. However, he did not fight with them in this issue. What was his re- reason? What was his excuse? He mentioned two of them. One in Surah number 20, verse 94. Over there he said, إِنِّي خَشِيتُ أَن تَقُولُ فَرَّقْتْ بَيْنَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ The unity issue. This was his four, first excuse, the unity issue. The second excuse was mentioned in Surah, surah number 7, verse number 150. Over there he said, إِنَّ الْقَوْمَ اسْتَضْعَفُونِي وَكَادُوا يَقْتِلُونَنِي Okay, he was afraid that he will he will be killed. If anyone has a problem with this argument, he can talk to Prophet Harun. Actually, Prophet Musa accepted this argument from Prophet Harun, and we don't see any problem with this argument. So Imam Ali, when he did not fight to bring Imam back, or to convince people to follow his Imam, or with those who did not believe in his Imam, this is very normal. Even other prophets did the same. The second issue we have in our hadith is the issue of Imam al-Hassan who did a peace treaty with Muawiyah and this also is normal because, because Prophet Muhammad did make a peace treaty with the non-believers in Sulh al-Hudaybiyyah which is famous where in Mecca so what Prophet Muhammad did he allowed the non-believers to control Mecca does this mean that he is renouncing his nubuwa? because he allowed others to be in charge no this does not mean this right? and the same with Imam Hassan when he allowed Muawiyah to uh, be in charge this does not mean that he renounced his Imam ok inshallah this answers it and the mic is yours
question is by Brother Zuhair Zaidi. Uh, he asks, we believe that Allah Azza wa Jal has knowledge of everything without any limit or constraint of time. Since He is the creator of time, we also believe that He has predestined some things in our lives, such as our risk, sustenance, and our death. Then within this, what is the purpose of dua, supplication? How or, how or do our prayers and supplication, supplications change our reality or situation? If Allah Azza wa Jal already has destined something, for example our wealth, then how can praying for an increase in sustenance change anything if it has already been determined? What does it really mean for Allah to listen to our prayers and to answer them? Inshallah, uh, you got the questions. Yeah, well, it's one, but inshallah you can answer it all. Take the mic on it. Yes, brother. Uh, the issue will be more clear if the brother study the ideology of Bida' that we Shia believe in. Okay, I'll try to explain this ideology very quick. Okay, I'll just give a summary of it. We believe that there are two types of predestination. A predestination that is fixed, that cannot be changed, and a predestination that is uh, changeable. Okay. Quran proves this. For example, when you go to Surah number 6, verse number 2, it says, ثُمَّ قَضَى أَجَلًا وَأَجَلًا مُسَمَّنْ عَنْدَهِ Then decreed a term, and the term fixed with him. Okay, this proves that there are two types of terms, two types of predestination. Another surah that proves Allah is, is able to change few things. Okay, in such in some kind of books, some kind of predestination. You can find this in surah number 13, verse 39, which says, يَمْحُ اللَّهُ مَا يَشَاءُ وَيُثْبِتُ وَعَنْدَهُ أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ Allah erases what He wants and establishes. And He has the source of the books. Okay, there are some kind of books that Allah erases things in them and establishes things in, in them. However, there are other books which are the source that is not changeable. Okay, Allah do not change anything on them. Another verse that proves that predestination uh, does change. Allah does do change this. Is what you will find in Surah number 35, verse 11, which says. وَمَا يُعَمَّرْ مِنْ مُعَمَّرْ وَلَا يُنْقِصْ مِنْ عَمُرْهُ مِنْ عُمُرِهِ إِلَّا فِي كِتَابٍ That Allah decrees from the life of people. What does decrease from their life mean? It means that, for example, they should live to maybe the age of 50, but for some reason Allah decreases this. He, he changes to 40 or 20. And also it proves that Allah is able to increase it. If they're going to live till the age of 50, he may increase it to 60 and 70. This ideology is also proven in the hadith, not only in Quran. I'll mention a few hadith which are authentic. The first hadith is in Al-Kafi, volume 2, page 470, hadith number 6. It said that Imam Al-Baqir said, Al-Dua yaruddu al-Qaba' wa qad ubrima ibraman wa dhamma afaba' That Dua does change predestination even it is even if it's very close to be happen or to occur so when you pray you change your predestination okay 
The second hadith is in the same source, but it is hadith number seven. Over there, Imam al Imam Sadiq says, "Ad-du'a yarud al-qawa ba'dama ubrima ibraman fa'akthir min ad-du'a." The same issue he mentions it again that du'a changes your predestination even if it's very close to a curve. And then he says, "Keep making du'a." And then he gives a nice example. فَإِنَّهُ مُفْتَحْ كُلُّ الرَّحْمَةِ وَنَجَحْ كُلُّ حَاجَةِ وَلَنَا الْمَالِ عَنْدَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ إِلَّا بِدْعَةٍ Then he said وَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ بَابِ يَكْتَرْ قَرَعَهِ إِلَّا يُوشِكْ أَنْ يَفْتَحُهُ صَاحِبَهِ Which means that A nice example If a person keeps knocking on the door In the end this door will be opened So he's just like saying Keep asking Allah And Allah will change your predestination If you are sick or something Don't think that Allah will not cure you Keep praying and he will change this in Al-Mahasim for Ahmed Muhammad bin Khalid al-Burqi volume 1 page 243 chapter 25 hadith number 235 and it is authentic as well it said that Imam Salih said إن الله إذا أراد شيئا قدره فإذا قدره قضاه فإذا قضاه أمضاه that Allah if he wants something he moves it through the following categories and those are the categories of the predestination Number one, he said, Qaddarahu, Al-Qadr. Number two, Qadah, Al-Qadah. This is the second category. And number three, Amdah. Okay, three, which is very hard to to translate. So maybe we need we need extra time to try to explain those three levels of predestination. But in general, you just need to know right now that there are levels of predestination which Ahlbeth spoke about. And Allah moves uh, things through them. So this means that they are changeable. It does not mean that something, if it's under Al-Qadr or Al-Qaba, it does not mean that it will happen for sure. No, no. Allah still is able to change these things. Okay. Another hadith also in the same source, under hadith number 236. Imam Al-Baqir says, لا يكون شيء في الأرض ولا في السماء إلا بهذه الخصال السبع. That nothing in this life that is not under the following three levels and then he mentioned several levels seven levels which I'll mention only the title but we need extra time to explain each one of them the levels are Al-Mashiyah Wal-Irada Wal-Qadr Wal-Qaba Wal-Izin Wal-Kitab Wal-Ajal فَمَنْ زَعَمَ أَنَّهُ يَقْدَرْ عَلَى نَقْصُ وَاحِدَ مِنْهُنَّ فَقَدْ كَفَرْ he says whoever believes that he can make a shortcut through those is a kafir now if you understand Bida'a Let's go back to the question. The first question was, what is the purpose of the dua? The answer is, the purpose of the dua is to change your predestination. Your next question was, do our prayers and supplication change our reality or situation? The answer is, everything is under the control of Allah. Just pray and He will change your future. Your next question was, if Allah already has destined something, for example, our wealth, then how can... Uh, praying for an increase is sustenance and sustenance change anything if it has already been determined the answer is predestination has many levels if what you are asking for was not under al-mahtum the level of al-mahtum then it is changeable then the level of mahtum is very few it is something like uh, death okay death will occur no matter what however the time of death is changeable but death itself, it will happen no matter what. This is type of al-mahtum. So you are able to make a dua, and inshallah Allah will change anything for you. 
unless it fits under al-mahkum. So you cannot pray Allah not to die. Okay, Allah puts this under the level of al-mahkum, and this will happen no matter what, whether you pray for it or not. Your final question was, what does it really mean for Allah to listen to our prayers and to answer them? The answer is, if you understand and believe in bid'ah, which I just mentioned right now, and with its proof, then you know that everything is reachable as far as you ask Allah for it. Okay. And this is what makes the issue of bid'ah very nice. I'll give you two more hadith which gives you the greatness of the issue of, of bid'ah. Two, I'll mention two of them, which is authentic. It is in the book of At-Tawheed for Sheikh Al-Saduq. Page 331, chapter 54. Hadith number one says, Imam Al-Baqir and Al-Sadiq said, Ma عبد الله عز وجل بشيء مثل البداء. That nothing, Allah was not worshipped by anything more than البداء. See, when you start to believe in البداء, then your prayer change. Okay? Uh, you see that you, when you pray you think that there is a meaning behind it you are able to change things but if you think that everything is settled and nothing is changeable then you are not going to feel like praying Okay, this is hadith, hadith number one hadith number two which is also authentic both of them are authentic Imam Sadiq says ma Allah azza wa jal that nothing uh, made Allah very great in our eyes or made the image of Allah great more than Al-Bida. Okay? And inshallah, this answers it. Thank you, Mawlai, for the answer. Mawlai, this reminds me of a verse in the Quran when they say, the Jews say that in Yadullah Maghlula, are they talking about predestination? Because it reminded me of that verse. Okay, so that was the problem. They believed that Allah couldn't change uh, the predestination of of uh, of man. Is that it? Okay, thank you, Mullah. Um, now, the eleventh question by a Shia follower. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, alaikum assalam. I have a question. I am drowning in my sins, and I do not know what to do. I am a Shia and I have belief and know but I cannot control myself or my desires. Every time I do bad sins, I ask Allah Azza wa Jal for forgiveness, tawbah, and say I will never uh, I will never do sins again. But again days later I am doing the same horrible I feel I feel that my heart is completely black and I don't think I have hope with hope in Allah. Because uh, sin, I know I the sins I know uh, the sins I do I know they are wrong, but I still do it. I have tried to purify my nafs, but I can't do it. I can't control it. What can I do to save myself and completely stop sinning? I want to completely control my nafs and desires once and for all and be a true slave of Allah Azza wa Jal. Give me guidance, please. Thank you. Uh, by Shia follower. Okay. Yes, my advice is the following. First of all, uh, study the plans of Iblis. Okay, Iblis has Iblis has uh, huge experience with Bani Adam. Okay, so try to study his plan. He does have a long-term plan. Okay, it's not a short-term plan. His plan or his goal is 
to show you that the path of sinning is the straight path okay which means once you go in this path you are able to come back whenever you want however this is not the truth the truth is that the path of sinning is very deep the more you go in it the harder you come back okay this is his plan he does not want you to notice this so what he'll do to you he'll tell you for example he'll make sin that you're doing look very small this is one plan that he does when you do a sin he make it look very small to you or maybe he keep you away from repentance tawbah from tawbah okay yes he if you want to make repent or something if you want to make tawbah he's going to tell you that you're still young you still have time uh, your sinning is small you're not doing very bad things okay he does not want you to make tower because he wants you to go deeper and deeper because he knows that if you keep going in this path it will be hard for you to come back know this this is number one number two make your own plan toward purifying yourself now try to get your own plan to face Iblis I advise you with the following uh, few things okay which if you, can, if you do try to plan them in your life I believe if you were able to do them, then you'll uh, you'll be able to face Iblis. Okay, just uh, pay, make sure that those what I'll mention right now may not apply to your uh, situation, but you can make some changes in them to make it apply. Okay, the first thing is repent immediately. Do not delay your tawbah. Don't think that you still can wait for a year or a second year or whatever because it will be very hard for you to come back there is a hadith which says if someone sin for 40 years then Iblis come and kiss his forehead okay and he treats him like his parents okay من عصى الله 40 سنة أتى جبرائيل فقبل جبينه وقال بأبي أنت وأمي okay so pay attention to this one try to repent as soon as possible number two close the doors that Iblis is knocking okay Iblis has some doors that, that he's entering and he knocks this door every, do- every day every night every week maybe it is the door of free time maybe it is the door of TV the door of bad friends so try to close those doors if you have many free time try to make yourself busy if it's the TV do something with it if you have bad friends who are supporting you to do those sins do something with them the second issue is make yourself busy how? my advice is make yourself busy by studying the religion or maybe help in Islamic occasion try to do something that has to do with your religion okay? because it will, you'll have more blessing and Allah will help you more to stay in this path okay you know that the religion is very big you can study many things you can make da'wah for people okay you can study the science of Rijal you can study Quran learn these things teach others and once you see yourself in this path then you will be addicted okay you will be addicted and you will not be able to leave this path and you will see yourself busy every day you have a new research you have a new problem that you want to search you have uh, a sunni that you want to make Shia 
you have a Shia that you want to increase his faith. Okay, keep make yourself busy in these issues. Don't don't have any free time. Kill your free time. Okay, and then I believe this will help you a lot. Help in Islamic occasions. Okay, try to do any activity. Go to mosque. Help them in the mosque. Go to the Hassaniyah. Okay, help them over there. Do anything. Try to open a room in Tautuk. Okay, in the English section for. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have a Shia room right now. Try to open one. It will take a lot of your time. Okay, actually, it's not gonna, it's gonna allow you to have time for anything. So keep going there, opening a room, open a room, uh, try to ask people to, to come, uh, to, to, to the Shia path, okay? Also, if you want, you can go to shialectures.net, help the brother, the brothers over there work in their website, improve it, record lecture, send lecture. Okay, maybe you can come make a lecture. Okay. Uh, there are many things that you can do. Make yourself busy and the police will not be able to enter through this door. Okay. Number four, seek help from the pillars of Islam. What do I mean by this? I mean don't miss a prayer or delay it. See if this sin will make you miss a prayer or delay your prayer then if you want to leave this sin make this as a priority once you have a prayer or fasting or whatever do it first and don't allow this uh, sin to either make you miss this prayer or delay it Man, try to manage this try to do this for a week or two okay, or a month and you will see that you, you will forget the sin that you do okay Finally, check your food. Okay, this is a very important issue. See if you're eating something that, that is haram which you don't know. Okay, maybe you're eating a sandwich that you don't know it has meat in it. Okay, or maybe you're eating a meat which you think that it is halal but it is not. These things has influence on people. And it keeps people from repenting. So think about your food. Maybe if you work in a, in a place where they give you, uh, your salary is based on haram money maybe this has an influence okay so check with your marja' with these issues and if there is any haram thing try to avoid it it will help you more to to repent okay inshallah this answers be my pleasure okay Allah salli Muhammad wa Muhammad thank you Mawlai for that uh, great answer also, you know, Mawlai Abu Yaqeen, if you don't mind, uh, as you said, uh, prayer is a very important uh, issue in, uh, in yes, uh, it's a very important issue for us also. Like when uh, we leave prayer, we, Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't guide, guide us as well as uh, a person who would, you know, uh, pray and, and, uh, pray correctly and uh, I remember hearing a lecture by uh, Sayyid uh, Mahdi Mudarasi uh, about prayer and uh, he explained that whatever you do whatever sins you commit whatever uh, you do outside uh, as long as you pray uh, it will help you in returning to Allah Azza wa Jal okay the, the twelfth question by brother the one He says, Assalamu alaikum brother Could you please ask brother Abu Yaqeen these questions on music 
the twelfth questions. Twelfth question. Uh, there are many ha- hadith in Shia books against music and singing. Someone told me that these hadith are not sahih. Do these ha- hadith have authentic chains, chain of narrations? Okay, Mola, I take the mic. Uh, okay, brother. Yes, those hadith have authentic chains. If you want, you can go to Al-Kafi, volume 6, page 431, the chapter of singing, Al-Ghina. It has 25 hadith. I checked their chains. I found out that chain number 6 and chain number 10, number 12, number 13, number 15, and 23, all of them are authentic. And those say that music is haram. If you want, let me put them in categories and give you maybe an idea what they say the first category it basically says that the music is forbidden this is hadith number 15 and 23 hadith number 15 says by Imam Sadiq Bayt al-Ghina la tu'man fiha al-fajia wa la tujab fiha al-da'wa wa la yadkhuluh al-malak that the house of music is not protected from crisis and a dua is not accepted in it and angels do not enter it okay, this means that it is a bad thing music or singing is a bad thing this is authentic hadith number 23 which is authentic also Imam Sadiq says istima' al-ghina wallahu yinbut al-nifaq fil qalb kama yinbut al-ma' al-zara that listening to singing uh, increase hypocrisy in the heart ok so clearly it is haram. The second category is the the hadith that say singing are haram because it has lying in it. And this is hadith number six and hadith number thirteen. Imam Sadiq. Okay, in both hadith, yes, Imam Sadiq says that uh, music or ghina or singing is an example of saying lying okay the third category that says it is forbidden because it has uh, words that do not make sense it has uh, vain sentences okay there are some music or singing that makes no sense it's a waste of time okay we have a hadith that says such kind of singing is forbidden also this is hadith number 12 Okay, a person say, ask Imam Sadiq he says people say that Prophet Muhammad allowed us to say for example جئناكم, جئناكم, حيونا, حيونا. Okay, we came we came welcome us welcome us okay, something like this it's a waste of time Imam Sadiq said that they are lying that's not true the, the final category is the following it says it is haram because it increases the sexual desire Okay, there are some singing that increase the sexual desire and it is very clear in our days. This is hadith number 10. A person comes to Imam Sadiq and says uh, that he has a neighbor who has slave women who sing and he says, I sit and listen to them. I only listen. I don't do anything. Okay. Imam Sadiq told him that it is haram. Don't do it. Even if it's only by your, by your ears. Why? Okay. It's obviously because uh, in the f- maybe this will lead him to something bad. It increases the sexual desire. 
enslave women singing and something like this this will increase his sexual desire and maybe it will lead him to haram so it is haram he then he said didn't you hear Allah saying inna sam'a wal basar wal fu'ad kullu ulaika kana anu mas'ula this is surah al-asra verse 38 which means uh, your sighting and listening and your heart will be questions in the day of judgment the man said it is just like I never heard this from anybody before this verse and then he said I'm not gonna re- return to this anymore Imam Sarq told him go and make ghusl of tawbah because you were in a very bad situation if you died in this situation then you will be in a uh, in trouble in big trouble okay so those inshallah answers it they are authentic hadith that say music is forbidden and they give some of the reasons okay the mic is to brother Mahsin the 13th question says I have not found any hadith which say that music is allowed do any hadith allow music yes brother there are if you go to Al-Kafi also volume 5 page 120 hadith number 3 an authentic hadith that says uh, Imam Sadiq said the gaining of the singer that sing in weddings is halal okay and then he said not the wedding that has men on in it men and women okay together which means that men if the wedding that has mixed people this is haram and the gaining or the money that the singer gets from it is haram okay but if, if it's only a wedding that has only women in it and the singer is a woman then it is halal some scholars understood from this hadith that there are some type of music which is halal okay and then also there is another hadith which is narrated in Al-Kifayat Al-Ahkam for Al-Muhaqq Al-Zawari volume 1 page 433 the hadith says someone asked Imam Al-Kadham I believe he told him are we allowed to sing in Eid Al-Fatr and Eid Al-Adha and in happy occasions he said لا بأس ما لم يعفى به it is not there is no problem with this if you don't use it for sinning okay the chain of this hadith محقق السبزواري says بإسناد لا يبعد الحاقه بالصحيح that this chain is not far from being صحيح okay those are two two hadith that we have that allows singing okay or at least it allows some type of singing Okay, the mic is yours, brother. Okay, Allah Thank you, Mulay. Sorry, I just like to ask a personal question. What about um, you know when when people read Mawalid and, and so forth? Is that what is that considered as Lakmiya or Mawalid? What is that considered as exactly? Um, is that considered as singing or reading poetry? Uh, how does that fit into any of the hadiths? Yes, brother. To fit this in a category, actually, you need to be a mustahid. So we have to refer to our maraja and tell them how do you understand this. And there are some maraja who who say that uh, this type of singing is halal because it is talking about things that make sense. It is not increasing our uh, sexual desire, and it's not uh, you're not li- lying when you write uh, when you say something good about Ahlul Bayt. So they say it is halal. 
and actually there is no mixing between men and women over there, right? So they say this kind of singing is halal, some maraja, but in the end you have to check with your own marja to see how he understands those hadith. The mic is yours, brother. Okay, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Muhammad. Thank you, Mawlai. The 14th question says, if by the same user, if there are so many narrations against music, then why do some Shia ulama allow music? Uh, yes, the answer is that some of them say, those who say that it is halal, right? They read this hadith which say it is halal, but then in the end they conclude that it is halal. Why? Because they say that uh, the forbidden music or singing are those that include wrong ideas, or those that encourage bad morals, or those that increase the sexual desires. Those kind of uh, singing is haram. Okay, so in the end, as we said before, uh, how do you understand this hadith? It is up to the mar- marja. Refer to your marja and see. Ask him about those hadith and see how he understands them. And then you take the fatwa from him. Okay, inshallah, this answers it. The mic is yours. Okay, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Muhammad. Thank you, Mulai, for that answer. The fifteenth question is by Tayyib Ulawil. I don't know. How to pronounce that name? He says, Salaamu Alaikum, Alaikum as He says, In Minhaj Sunnah, Ibn Taymiyyah has rejected the authenticity of a large number of hadiths. In fact, almost all the hadiths we use against the uh, Sunni school of thought. Answering Ansar uh, have dealt with some. I am compiling most of the others. I want to get the authentication. Please, would you help me with this job? I want to embark on a project and I badly need this help. May Allah Azza wa Jal be with you. I will be expecting your response. Okay, Mawlai, take the mic. Uh, yes, brother. Uh, actually, if there are not many, then yes, I would be happy to help. <laughs> However, if there are many, then I really do not have the time to, to do it. I, I'm busy with, with other researches. Okay. So, if you have, for example, important ones that you are unable to authenticate, yes, send it to me and I will help you on this, inshallah. Or if you are puzzled with the authenticity of some of them, that's fine. After you do your your research, you are unable to authenticate them, then send it to me and I will do my best to to authenticate them, inshallah. Okay, the mic is yours. I thank you, Mullah, for the answer. The 16th question is by Lala. Qutbi Assalamu alaikum Alaikum assalam Inshallah you are doing well I appreciate if you introduce Introduce some online sources About Islam and the idea of human evolution Preferably with the evidence of Holy Quran verses and the Ahadith Thank you Mulai, take the mic Yes brother if you go to this website Which is alislam.org It is a very famous website Over there they have uh, two articles or maybe books for Shaheed Mutahari Shaheed Murtaba Mutahari the title of the uh, of the lectures or the books okay it is written anyway the title is History and Human Evolution and there are two parts so if you can search for this this book in that website inshallah this book will help you okay and the mic is your brother Thank you, Mawlai. The 17th question is by Haqm Ali. 
Okay. Uh, he says, "Assalamu alaikum." I would be asking you tons of <laughs> tons of questions since I heard a lot about you in Shia chat. Brother, I hope you don't mind. Being a Pakistani, I don't have much know-how about Arabic, so definitely, definitely that's a weak point, أخي. But anyways, I will show. Uh, I will show the quote from Nawasib and will be hoping for a thick answer. The first question is about Fadak. Brother, I will give you the quote of Nasiri. Uh, the quote is an astounding revelation of which many people, uh, many people happen to be uninformed of is the fact that according to Shia Hadith, a woman does not inherit, inherit land or fixed property. How is it that the Shia accepted for Fatima Tazala when their own hadith does not allow the succession of a woman to land or fixed property okay that's the first quote the second quote says in the Shia book of hadith Al-Kafi Al-Kulayni has included a chapter entitled women do not inherit land in this chapter he narrates a hadith from Imam Muhammad Al-Baqir and that's by me as well women do not inherit anything of land or fixed property that's in Al-Kafi, volume 7, page 127, and Kitabul Mawarif, hadith number 1. He, the third quote says, He asked Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq about what a woman inherits. The Imam replied, they will get the value of the bricks, the building, the wood, and the bamboo. As, far as, as for the land and the fixed property, they will get no inheritance from that. That's in Tahdib uh, al-Ahqam. Tahdib uh, al-Ahkam, volume 9, page 299, and Bihar al-Anwar, volume 104351. Uh, another quote, Imam Muhammad al-Baqir said, A woman will not inherit anything of land and fixed property. In uh, Tahdib al-Ahkam, volume 9, page 298, and al-Istibsar, volume 4, page 152. Another one, Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq said, Women will have nothing of houses or land, Tadhib al-Ahkam, volume 9, page 299, and Tahar al-Anwar, volume 104, page 351. So the Shia hadith themselves would deny the inheritance of Fatima salam by me, even if the prophets, prophets were allowed to give inheritance to their heirs, even though they are not. This makes the Shia argument against Abu Bakr uh, even more useless. Brother, these are my problems and I want answer from Senate if you can give me since it is public, it is, uh, it is uh, propagated. Okay, Mawlai, inshallah, you got the question. Take the mic. Okay, brother. See, uh, the brother says that he's going to send many questions. Inshallah, I'm willing to answer them as, as far as I have the answer. But <laughs> I just have an optional request. Next time when he sends the quote, uh, don't use the word Nasabi because we're not sure that those people are Nasabi. Okay, yes, they do disagree with us and they do have problems with the Halbit, but it is not clear that they are Nasabi. So <laughs> maybe it's better not to use such words. Anyway, the hadith, when you go to, he, the guy uh, quoted from Al Kafi and he quoted from Tahdib al Ahkam. Okay, when you go to Al Kafi, volume 7, page 127. Okay, yes, you're going to see 11 hadith in that chapter And when you go to that Tahdib al-Ahkam, volume 9, page 297 You will see over 30 hadith regarding this issue The person who gave you those hadith uh, The Salafis who used those hadith It's clearly that they 
pick and choose only or they took those hadith out of context okay if they if you refer to the same hadith uh, to the same chapters in al-kafi and in tahdib al-ahkam and you mentioned bihal anwar bihal anwar brought it from al-kafi and tahdib same thing okay when you go to the main books and read those hadith you will see the following number one when they say that women do not inherit from fixed property they meant by woman they meant the wife not all women okay they meant the wife so this hadith does not apply to Fatima because Fatima was a daughter okay this hadith applies to the to the wives and you can find this in Al-Kafi hadith number two and hadith number three is authentic and it mentions this fact and in Al-Tahdeeb hadith number 24 25 and 32 is authentic and it mentions this fact okay the second issue is it does not talk about every wife no it only speaks about wife that has no children and if the hadith applies to Fatima if Fatima was a wife not a daughter okay let's say this it also does not apply to Fatima because she has children she has Al-Hassan and Al-Hussein okay so the hadith does not apply to Fatima again and when you go, if you want a hadith that proves this from the same chapter in Al-Kafi, hadith number 3, which is authentic, it proves this. And hadith number 35 in Al-Tahdeeb, it proves this as well. Also, if you want to check, also Al-Tahdeeb, hadith number 36 and 33, they are not authentic, but they prove the same thing. Okay. Finally, there are a few hadith that mention the wisdom, why wives do not inherit fixed property. The wisdom is mentioned in hadith number 6 and 7 which is authentic in Al-Kafi and also hadith 5 and 11 in the Kafi as well but they are not authentic 5 and 11 In Tahrib Tahrib hadith number 28 and 34 is authentic and hadith number 27 31 is not authentic but they all mention the wisdom The wisdom is as follows I'll read the hadith in Al-Kafi The first one hadith number 6 It says وَإِنَّمَا ذَاكَ لِأَلَّا يَتَزَوَّجْنَا النِّسَاءَ فَيَفْسُدُنَّ عَلَىٰ أَهْلِ مَوَارِيثِ مَوَارِثِهِمْ and the one in chapter in hadith number seven says, "Kaila yatazawajna fayyidhul alayhum, yani ahl mawarit man yirsid mawaritan," which means that if a wife, if the man dies, his wife may marry another man who is a stranger, right? He may be a stranger. So if she inherits from fixed property, then this man may inherit this, and then the children will have a stranger man in that house. So because Allah does not want this to happen. A woman, a wife, does not inherit from fixed property if she has no children. Okay? So inshallah this solves the issue. And the mic is yours, brother. Okay, Allah uh, Thank you, Mulai. The idea behind this, this issue does, I mean, when the woman inherits it, uh, inherits uh, the land uh, does the husband also uh, I mean whatever the wife has uh, well it's the wife's it's not going to be the husband's so um, you can worry about it can you please explain this issue more I didn't seem to understand it okay, take the mic. yes brother what I mean is this this wife may die right and once she die uh, her her portion of that fixed property will go to the strange husband, the new strange husband. So this new husband will tell to the children that I have portion of this land 
and I can enter this I can sell it I can do whatever I can to do with it right but he's a stranger man so this is what Allah does not want to happen okay inshallah it's, it clears it they might do okay Allah Muhammad Muhammad thank you Mawlai uh, for that answer the 18th question is by Manal Al-Sarraf Assalamu alaikum brother Abu Yaqeen I have a general question and I hope that you can enlighten me with your response During Ramadan women may not fast due to the menstrual period But we are obliged to fast any days after the holy month My question is If we as women with the known human nature that we can't fast or pray during our monthly period Why are we obliged to fast it later? It's not my fault that I'm born a woman Sorry for the pun, I just want to make a clear statement Another point is related to pregnancy for instance I was advised by my doctor not to fast during pregnancy In case it could lead to unnecessary complications such as gin Now I have to fast those days that I didn't fast uh, During my second pregnancies I did not fast and I have 60 days to fast in total I think it's a bit unfair that being a woman I have this disadvantage of fasting those days Thank you for all your help. Best regards, Mana, Um Rashid, and Ahmed. Okay, Mulai, you got the question. Take the mic. Yes, brother. Uh, the problem is that uh, she thinks that since women uh, have to make up some fastings, right, some days of fasting, then it is not fair since men do not have the same issue. <clears throat> First of all, in general, such kind of rules may only be a test from Allah to see who will obey him and who will not it is a possibility just like al-wudu see al-wudu we have a hadith in al-kafi volume 3 page 21 hadith number 2 which says innam al-wudu ahad min hudud Allah liya'lam Allah man yuti'ah wa man ya'sih wa inna al-mu'min la yinajisu shay it says that a believer does not become najis but he has to do wudu because it is a rule from Allah so that Allah see who will follow him and who will not so maybe it is possibility that women have to make up such kind of fasting later on as a rule to see if they are going to obey Allah or not this is a possibility now the issue of fairness does not apply why? Uh, because men or women are not fasting extra days if they were ask, uh, fasting extra days then we will say yeah maybe it's not fair however they are just Delaying their, their fasting to different days, right? This makes it that uh, the issue of fairness, uh, I don't think we have a problem with it if it's not extra days. And also, uh, the argument of the period. Maybe men may, may argue the opposite. They may argue that women are lucky for this. Why? They may say, for example, that it is unfair that we don't have. Uh, a week of a break okay, from prayer <laughs> women can have a break maybe five days or, or so every month but women or but when but I'm sorry men have to pray uh, till they die <laughs> okay? so they may think that, this is, that women are lucky the issue of pregnancy for example men may say that uh, we are obligated to work and women are not obligated to work Due to our work obligation, maybe we have to travel sometimes. And when we travel, then we have to make up the fasting. Right? 
But women don't have this. So they may say that all oh, it is not fair for us. Anyway, in the end, uh, it may be a test. It is an obligation. Men has different kind of obligation and rights. Women have different kind of obligation and rights. But in the end, it is balanced somehow. Okay, inshallah. Uh, from this I don't think you're going to see that it is the issue is still unfair but if if still the same then you can send your argument and we can tackle it again the mic is yours brother Ya Allah Muhammad wa Muhammad thank you Mawlai for the answer uh, Mawlai honestly I would never use the argument that uh, uh, you know they have a break from prayer because uh, Honestly, the pain is, is very hard uh, for them. Uh, okay. I'd rather be praying. Uh, the 19th question by the one. Assalamu alaikum brother. I have the following question. What is, questions. What is the proof of the book Al-Imam wa is written by Ibn Qutaybah? Sunni say that the Shia fabricated it. Okay, Mulay, take the mic. Uh, yes, brother. See, I did not say that in this situation it is exactly the same. I did not say this. Now I'm replying on what you said before. I'll answer the brother again once I'm done. I'm just saying that it is balanced somewhere else. Because men, they may bring many issues where they, they may think that Allah was not fair to them. And they were wrong. They are wrong. Okay, they may say why we are the ones who is obligated to work. We are the ones who are obligated to feed our kids to buy them clothes, to do this and that. However, women don't have to do any of these things. Even breastfeeding, they are not obligated to do it. They are only obligated to do three days, the first three days, and then they don't. They are not. They can ask for money from their husband. Okay, so they may argue like this. In the end, anyway, I don't agree with both, both arguments. I think that it is, in the end, balanced uh, very accurately uh, because in my belief that those rules came from Allah and also part of it is a test that Allah wants to see who will follow him and who will not anyway regarding the book of Al-Imam Al-Siyasa for Ibn Qutayba uh, they claim that it is not for Ibn Qutayba and they don't have a proof for this if, if the brother can send me their proofs I'll answer them one by one now if you're asking what is our proof our proof are, we have many I'll give you a few examples number one uh, there are people who mentioned the book of Al-Imam Al-Siyasa when they were defining Ibn Qutayba. One of those scholars is Zarkali in the book Al-Alam, volume 4, page 137. He mentioned the book of Al-Imam Al-Siyasa when he was speaking about Ibn Qutayba. Okay, yes, he did say that there are people, that there are some scholars who have doubts whether this book is for Ibn Qutayba or not. However, for him, he recognized this book for Ibn Qutayba. Another scholar, this, all of them are Sunnis. All what I'll mention, all the scholars that I'll mention are Sunnis. The second, the second scholar is Elian Sarkis. In his book, Mu'ajam al-Matbu'at, volume 1, page 211. Over there he said, وَلَهُ الْمُصَنَّفَاتِ الْمَتْكُورَةِ وَالْمُؤَلَّفَاتِ الْمَشْهُورَةِ فَمِنْهَا He said that he has many uh, famous books. One of it is, he mentioned many books. One of it, he mentioned Al-Imama wa-Siyasa. ابتدأ فيه بذكر فضل أبي بكر وعمر. He started in his book Imam al-Siyasa 
mentioning the virtues of Abu Bakr and Umar. And now when you go to the book of Imam Musiyasa, you will see it just as this guy mentioned. And I don't know how come it is a Shia book when it has the virtues of Abu Bakr and Umar. Second category are those scholars, those Sunni scholars who were answering, who were criticizing Ibn Qutayba for authoring this book. One of them is Al-Qadi Ibn Arabi. This is the Salafi famous scholar. It is not Ibn Arabi, the Sufi guy. No, no. This is the Salafi guy. He's very famous. He has a book, it's called Al-Awasim Min Al-Qawasim. Page 248. Over there he said, فَأَمَّا الْجَاهِلْ فَهُوَ إِبْنْ قُتَيْلَ فَلَمْ يَبْقَ وَلَمْ يَدْرُ الصُّحَابَ رَسْمًا فِي كِتَابَ الْإِمَامَ وَالسِّيَاسَةِ So he, he's saying that Ibn Qutayba did not leave anything without mentioning regarding the companions in his book Al-Imam Wasiyah ok so he was criticizing uh, Ibn Qutayba for this and he mentioned the name the, of the book Al-Imam Wasiyah another scholar who was uh, who criticized Ibn Qutayba for authoring books against the companion is Ibn Hajar Al-Haythami the famous Sunni scholar ok in his book Tathir Al-Jinan Wal-Litan either page 43 or 72 depends on the edition that you have he said, وَمَعَ تَآلِيفِ صَدَرَتْ مَنْ بَعْضُ الْمُحَدِّثِينَ كَأَبِنْ قُتَيْبَ مَعَ جَلَالَتِهِ He was speaking about how some scholars authored book against the companion and he mentioned Ibn Qutayba as one of them. Also Ibn Khaldun uh, in his book of history, volume 2, page 1090 under the chapter of uh, the battle of Al-Jabal, Al-Jamal okay? In the end, he said, "هذا أمر الجمل ملخص من كتاب أبي جعفر الطبري اعتمدناه للوثوق به ولسلامته من الأهواء الموجودة في كتب ابن قتيبة وغيره من مؤرخين." He says that I relied in this uh, in narrating the battle of Al-Jamal. I relied on the book of Al-Tabari. I didn't want books like Ibn Qutayba. Okay, this means that Ibn Qutayba wrote something against the companion, and obviously he was referring to the book of Al-Imam Also there are other categories of scholars that were defending Ibn Qutayb. One of them is Sheikh Muhammad Zahid Al-Kawthari in the introduction of the book Al-Ikhtilaf Fil-Lafal he said that Ibn Qutayb changed his mind in the end okay, regarding the book of Al-Imam This means that Al-Imam is for Ibn Qutayb. I'll read it in Arabic. In Arabic. نظر إلى كتاب الإمام والسياسة المعزوة إليه من قديم الدهر إلى غير ذلك مما هو مشبوت في كتب خاصة يلفيه قد رجع إلى الصواب في كثير من تلك المسائل ولطف لهجته في جملة منها okay, he changed his mind and he lowered his tone against the companions another scholar who defended Ibn Qutayba is عبد الكريم الخطيب in the book علي بن أبي طالب بقية النبوة page 41 over there he said that Ibn Qutayba really did not believe in what he wrote it was only a history book okay and he was uh, narrating hadith or, or narrations or history events in that book so he was defending him and saying that actually Ibn Qutayba does not believe in this which means that the book of Imam Musiyasa is really proven to be his otherwise why would all these Sunni scholars defend Ibn Qutayba or criticize him on a book that is not proven to be his okay the final category are those who narrated from the book of Al-Imam I'll mention some of them. Uh, Al-Qadi Abu Abdullah Tanuzi Al-Ma'roof Ibn Shabbat. 
in his book Hallat al-Samt in the chapter number 34 over there he narrated from Al-Imam Musiyyat for Ibn Qutayba another scholar is Al-Hafiz Taqi al-Din al-Makki in his book Shifa al-Gharam page 171 another scholar is Abu al-Hajjaj Yusuf bin Muhammad al-Balawi al-Andalusi in his book Al-Alif Ba page 478 he narrated from the book of Al-Imam Musiyyat Another one is the science of Rijal scholar Najmuddin Abil Qasim Amr bin Muhammad bin Muhammad al-Hashim al-Makki In his book Ithaf al-Wara Under the year 93 Under the chapter of the year 93 He narrated from the book of Al-Imam Wasiyyat And also Az-Zaddin Abdul Aziz bin Amr bin Fahd In his book Ghayat al-Maram And also Muhammad Mahbub al-Alam he narrated from Al-Imam Wasiyyat and this guy has a book of Tafsir Tafsir Shahi he narrated from the book of Al-Imam Wasiyyat in this book and this book is a book that Ad-Dahlawi relied on him this book of Tafsir Ad-Dahlawi relied on this book who is Ad-Dahlawi? Ad-Dahlawi is the famous Salafi who wrote a book against the Shia it's called Al-Tahfa Al-Ithnai Ashariya for Rad Al Shia Al-Ithnai Ashariya very famous book that Salafis use this guy relies on a book of tafsir that narrates from the book of Al-Imam Al-Tiyas Okay, finally I'll mention two more and that's it Another professor whose name is Farid Wajdi in his book Da'irat Al-Ma'arif volume 2 page 745 And finally Umar Rubat Ahala under his book Alam Al-Nisa volume 4 page 114 All of those narrated from the book of Al-Imam Al-Tiyas so no one can claim that this book is fabricated and there is no proof that this book is for Ibn Qutayba, no, no. It is proven to be for Ibn Qutayba. If they can give us other replies, then send it to me and inshallah I'll answer them. The mic is yours, brother. Mawlahi, a personal question. Why do they deny this book? I mean, what is so special about this book that they deny it? Um, I heard that it talks about Fatima al-Zara, the event of the door with Fatima al-Zara, uh, but I'm not sure. Mu'ala, um, could you take the mic and explain this? Yes, the reason is Ibn Qutayba is a very, very famous scholar. Okay. He is uh, a great Salafi scholar to them, and they relied on him in many issues. Okay. And this guy has many types of books, history books, Tafsir books, Hadith books, okay, very famous scholar. When he came to history, he mentioned many issues very clearly, just like Shia mentioned them. That Umar attacked the house of Fatima, he broke her, her ribs, okay, and many issues, very clearly. And that Imam Ali had a problem with Abu Bakr and Umar regarding Khilafah, okay, and many of what we say is all proven to be in that book. So they, they are puzzled, how come this scholar narrates these, these issues? Without saying that they are weak or wrong. Okay? So, inshallah, that answers it. Thank you, Allah, subhanahu wa Thank you, Mawlai. The 20th question by the same states Why didn't Imam Al Islam take Fidik back and give it to its righteous owners when he was in Khilafah? Okay, Mawlai, take the money. Yes, the answer is the goal of Imam Ali and the goal of Fatima. Regarding Fadak was not Fadak itself. 
it was as we mentioned before it was Abu Bakr not Sadak so when you know when you know this then you are not surprised why they didn't get it back actually their goal was not Sadak they don't even thinking about Sadak we have a narration from Imam Ali I'll mention to you it is in Nahj al-Balagha volume 3 page 70 under letter number 45 over there he said بَلَا كَانَتْ فِي أَيْدِينَا سَدَكْ مِنْ كُلِّ مَا أَضَلَّتْهُ السَّمَاءِ فَشَحَّتْ عَلَيْهَا نَفْوسُ قَوْمًا وَسَخَتْ عَنْهَا نَفْوسُ آخَرِينَ وَنِعْمَ الْحَكَمُ اللَّهِ وَمَا أَصْنَعْ بِسَدَكْ وَغَيْرِ سَدَكْ وَالنَّفْسِ مَضَانَهَا فِي غَدٍ جَدَةٍ This, what it means Okay, he wants Allah to be the judge, not him himself. And then he said, "Wama asna' bifadak wa ghair fadak wa nafs mabanaha fi ghadin jadat," which means that what will I do with fadak if I will end up in the grave in the end? So why do you think Imam Ali needs fadak if he's going to to the grave? Why do you think Fatima will need will need fadak? Same thing. You know these people. You know Fatima during her wedding. Okay, her wedding night, she has the wedding dress. She didn't even wear it. She gave it to a poor lady. Okay. See, those people don't want anything from this life. Why they were fighting uh, for Sadak? The reason is they wanted to, to prove a point against Abu Bakr. That's it. This is the whole story. Okay. And one, one more thing. If you talk to a politician, he will tell you that actually it is not a smart move if Imam Ali returns Sadak. Why? Because he did have many enemies. And if he did take Fadak back, he, they're going to start to accuse him of misusing his powers. So it is not even smart to take Fadak back. And these are the reasons why Imam Ali did not return Fadak. Thank you, Mawlai. Uh, the 21st question is, there are some ahadith who say that Fatima al-Zahra was angry with Imam Ali salam. Are they authentic? And at the end she... Uh, he says, May Allah bless the maker of the site and brother Abu Yaqeen. And this is the last question. Uh, okay, brother. The Sunni hadith, we don't believe them, obviously, right? There are some hadith in Al Bukhari, but we don't believe in these hadith. If you're talking about the Sunni sources, yes, there are two hadith that uh, Salafis try to use. Actually, none of them say that Fatima uh, was angry on Imam Ali. None of them. And both of them are weak. Let me mention them and try to give you a summary of, of both hadith. The first hadith is uh, in the book of Allah al-Sharaya, volume 1, page 163, chapter 130, hadith number 2. The hadith is narrated by Al-Hassan bin Arafah. He said, Al-Hassan bin Arafah min wujuh al-Amma, a famous Sunni. This narrator is a famous Sunni. So the hadith comes from a Sunni and the hadith is not pure Shia hadith. You can see this in Ma'jam Rijal Khu'i under number 2925. The content of the hadith says the following that uh, Fatima saw Imam Ali with a slave woman and uh, she felt jealous. She left, she left the house. Okay? And then Prophet Muhammad told her to, to go back and seek the uh, Try to please Imam Ali. Okay, this is the whole hadith. It does not say that Fatima was angry on Imam Ali. And the hadith is weak. Okay, cannot be used as a proof. And the chain came from a Sunni. So 
So this hadith cannot be used. The second hadith is in the same source, Al Sharia, Volume 1, page 185, under chapter number 149, hadith number 2. The hadith has many problems in the chain. One of it is, it is narrated from Ali bin Ahmed, who is unknown. And also there are other problems in the chain. The chain is weak. This hadith basically says the following. Okay. It says that uh, a bad man جَاءَ شَقِي مِنَ الْأَشْقِيَاءِ إِلَى فَاطِمَةِ A bad man came to Fatima or came, came to Fatima and told her that Imam Ali is thinking about marrying the daughter of Abu Jahl. Fatima felt sad and she went to, to her house and then she went to the house of Prophet Muhammad Prophet Muhammad saw her sad and then he called Imam Ali and told him to go call Abu Bakr and Umar and Talha when they were all gathered he asked Imam Ali why, are you, why did you do this Imam Ali said وَالَّذِي بَعَثَكَ بِالْحَقِّ نَبِيَّ مَا, كُنَّ مَا كَانَ مِنِّي مِمَّا بَلَغَهَا شَيْءٍ وَلَا حَدَّثْتُ بِهَا نَفْسِي that I did not do it and I didn't even think about it Prophet Muhammad said صَدَقْتَ وَصَدَقَتْ that you are right and she, she was right then Fatima became very happy what does this prove? it does not say Fatima was angry on Imam Ali it was, she was angry on the person who made up the story from the beginning on Imam Ali that's why Prophet Muhammad said and she was right Imam Ali is right and she was right all of them knew that Imam Ali was not going to do this Prophet Muhammad knows this Imam Ali knows this Fatima knows this Okay. otherwise Prophet Muhammad will not tell him you are right I'm, I, and she is right Okay. but I am puzzled why he brought Abu Bakr Omar and Talha what do they have to do with the incident I have no idea Okay. is it possible that they were the bad people who made up the story I don't know but I, I am really puzzled why he brought those three people anyway this is the narration it is weak it does not say Fatima was angry on Imam Ali and the hadith that is in the Sunni books we don't rely on it and it is weak actually so we don't believe in, in this thing the mic is yours, brother. Thank you, Mulai, for the an- for the answers that you gave us today. Uh, just a, a note, uh, a message for some users. Three questions were asked, but unfortunately we didn't have time to prepare for them. But inshallah, in the next question and answer session, they will be answered. Thank you, brother Abu Yaqeen, for taking your time and answering uh, these questions okay, uh, Brother Abu Yaqeen do you have any any statements that you would like to say before uh, we end this meeting take the mic on yes brother uh, I just want to thank you for those for the effort that you make and I want to thank shialactures.net for allowing me to answer these questions and I want to thank those who send those questions Actually, without them, we cannot make those meetings. And also, I want to conclude with this hadith. Since we spoke about Fatima a lot this time, Alhamdulillah, for some reason, many people sent many questions regarding Fatima. And these days, we live uh, during the birth anniversary time, right? It was last week, I believe, or a few days before. 
So I started reading this hadith for Barakat, which is a very nice hadith. I think everybody uh, will like it, inshallah. This is mentioned in Tahdib al-Hakam for Sheikh Tawsi, volume 6, page 9, hadith number 11. A person came to Fatima, and, she, and the narration says that she started by saying salam. This is a very nice virtue by Ahl al-Bayt. They are very humble. They don't wait you to say salam to them. No, they alayhim salam always start by saying salam. Okay? She said salam alaykum and he answered. Then she asked him, what brought you here? He said, talabtu al-barakah. I came here uh, for barakah, for the blessing. She answered him by saying, akhbarani abi wa huwada. My father told me, and here he is. هو أنه من سلم عليه وعلي ثلاثة أيام أوجب الله له الجنة Whoever say salam alaykum to Prophet Muhammad and to Fatima in three days three days in a row then Allah will grant him Jannah He asked her during your life or after your life she said, yes, during my life and after my death. Okay. So if you say, Salaam alaykum ya Rasulullah, Salaam alaykum ya Fatima today, and you say the same thing tomorrow, and you say the same thing after tomorrow, then inshallah you are granted Jannah. And please make dua for us, and keep sending those questions. Okay, and the mic is yours. Fiyam Allah. Fiyam Allah, thank you, Mawlai. Ahsent, ahsent. Assalamu alaikum ya Fatima al-Zahra alayhi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Brothers and sisters, uh, thank you for listening uh, to this question and answer session And also I'd like to ask you uh, if you could help us improving this site By your comments, by going to the help us section on the website And reading uh, the many ways you could help us uh, to improve this site also, if you could uh, please donate, if you have anything, just uh, donate some money to us uh, via the donation button on the site. Inshallah, uh, we hope to collect uh, a million, if you can believe it or not, we inshallah hope to collect a million lectures. That's our goal for this site, for each language. Uh, English, Arabic, and Persian, insha'Allah. Okay, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.